and, and you know, here's where people cringe. They say, oh, just don't be, you're being judgmental of other people. No. But as an under-shepherd of this church, I see the ravenous wolves that come through media. And God's word teaches us, Paul said this, if any other man, so any other minister, any other preacher, any other person, shares with you a different gospel than the one I preach to you, let him be accursed. Why? Why such a strong pronouncement on just a false teaching? Because that false teaching leads to the damning of men's souls. It's a serious matter. And so it's not that we're aggressive. It's not that you're being judgmental. It means that we are being clear and articulate to what the gospel is and what it is not. And the final thing I want to say in my long introduction is this. For there to be people in heaven that will stand in front of Jesus and say, Lord, Lord. Have we not done many mighty, wonderful works in your name? Have we not cast out devils and done miracles? That's not people that are unbelievers. That's people that live in the church and work in the church. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. How can that be? How can someone spend their life doing the work of God and God say, I never knew you because they lived under a gospel that did not exist? An unacceptable gospel. Does that bring some clarity in the introduction? Good. All right. Now, I pass it off to y'all. Shifting of gears. So throughout this uh, documentary, you have heard me say uh, several times that when I listen to some of these commentators that distort the Word of God, I often find myself asking, have they ever read the Bible? Because their comments, the things they say, are in stark opposition to the Word of God, not subtly, but objectively and clearly in opposition to the Word of God. And so Alistair Begg brought this out. He said, the Bible is so useful if we would only read it. Now, not only does that go for the theologian or the minister, that goes for each of us as disciples and followers of Christ. You're not going to accidentally grow into a deeper relationship with God. Be intentional about it. At the end of the last segment we watched, one of the speakers talked about how David couldn't offer a sacrifice for his sin because there was no sacrifice to offer. His sin, the sin of taking another man's wife and then murder, demand that he be stoned. There was no sacrifice he could bring to be put in right standing. But God told him through Nathan, his prophet, that you're not going to suffer this death. Why? Because Christ was slain before the foundations of the earth and through that, because God doesn't move through time the way you and I do or understand time the way you and I do. Through that, he was being made righteous. We got to understand we are cut off from God. We are helpless to save ourselves. And when he bore it all on Calvary, it was a punishment that was due me. He took my place. He was the substitute. And through his willingness and love to do that, I now stand in right relationship with God because I am seen through the filter of the precious spilt blood of Jesus Christ when he looks down on me. It is nothing that I have done. So when you attack that element, penal substitutionary atonement, When you're attacking that element, universalism has to 
undermine that because if I don't hold on to that, if I can get you to look away from that, then I can offer validity for everyone gets saved. Everyone uh, is all going to be redeemed. Or if you are found to not be in God's good graces, then you'll just be annihilated. There is no eternal punishment. You have to do away with the penal substitutionary atonement. That's why it is so foundational to us as believers to know what that means, to know what Christ did for us, and know that it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we are able to receive salvation. He made him that knew no sin become sin for us. Amen. Amen. Wade? There were, there's always been a fight in, that's fight's probably not the best word, but there's always been a tension in the church of when you remove this atonement, then works is the only thing that can replace it. And so there's always been a gospel of works that's been presented in parallel with a gospel of, of substitution. And so this has always been, it's, it's, it, it, will, it would probably will continue. But the thing is, is when, when Jesus died on the cross, there was an accomplishment. There was an achievement. There wasn't this done in hell. He didn't go into hell and, and fight Satan. The cross sealed for you and me our salvation. It appeased the, the demand of God. It, deme- it, it appeased the price for righteousness. Um, Galatians 3, Paul tells us, Jesus, this would be Jesus in his full divinity, absorbed in himself the wrath of God, redeeming us from the wrath of God by becoming a curse for us. In Romans 8, 3, God has done what the law weakened by the flesh was not able to do, by sending his old son in the likeness of sinful flesh, uh, he condemned sin in the flesh. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6, we all know this one, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. Like There was something that was accomplished. It led to something. But what is this achievement for? For as by... Um, what the ma- one man's disobedience, that would be Adam, the many were made sinners. Because we are born of flesh, we are born into corruption. So that by one man's obedience, this would be Jesus, the many will be made righteousness. Achievement unto what and for what? Not only did Jesus' death on the cross atone for our sins, but his resurrection over death guarantees us eternal life with the Father. There was a death on the cross and there's a resurrection. And these are two things that happen. One satisfies the penalty of sin, but the other brings us into the Father's presence. One of the things that uh, the false teacher said on, on the video here, he said, I'm not saying that there's not an element of penal substitution found in the Scripture. Okay, now pause there. So you're saying, or he was saying, he said, I'm not saying that there's not an element. So present in the Old Testament is an element of something being slain on behalf of another to satisfy God. If that is the case, who then decides the level of that sacrifice? How much did it come into play? How much of God's wrath did it satisfy? You see, by making that statement, you have now separated all the components so no one can know that God was satisfied. So it's not that it played a part. From the very beginning, it was the idea of God. 
And, I, you know, I love how they gave a couple of illustrations that prove the point that uh, Spurgeon said, discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, but knowing the difference between right and almost right. That story of the little boy that was uh, killed, you know, and the father's grief, and all those components were there without teaching that from the very beginning, from day one, the father and the son talking about that day he's going to die in the place of those on the train. You see, so it's imperative in this last hour. I burden, I burden for you that you might be so immersed in the scriptures that you be able to stand and withstand not just what you see today, but the coming flood of spiritual deception that sounds almost right, that feels almost right, that will appeal to your intellect and to your feelings and to your rational ideas, but you are able to reflexively say, but the scripture says blank. But that can't be right because the scripture says so-and-so. And penal substitution is not a part of the gospel. It is the reason for the gospel you say, well, Pastor John, why, why would God plan that before the foundation of the earth? Let me give you a quick illustration of that, Jay, and then I'll turn it to you. A quick illustration. So God planned, let's just say, before there was a world, before there was anything, just the triunion God. And in, in eternity past, he decides to create a people for himself. He has one of two options as far as my limited understanding will allow it to go. Kelly, don't say nothing about limited understanding. Allow it to go. He can make us robots that worship him because we were created to do such and we have no other option, which means that the worship is this limited, the affection is this limited, the, the, origin, uh, the sincerity is this limited. Or he can create us with free will knowing that if we have free will, we'll fail. Since God knows all things, perfect knowledge, if he's going to create a people that will fail, he must create a plan to redeem them back unto himself. So in the triunion of God, God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, Christ was in God as the offerer, as the offering, and in the Father accepting the offering. And when you and I were born into sin, we lived our life, sin proved itself through expression, he redeems us back to himself, and now he has worshipers who have been born again, not of flesh and blood, but of the Spirit. And we worship him out of choice and out of freely. And the only way we could be in his presence is to have that imputed righteousness. And so now he has created a people that love him for multitude of reasons, but they've been redeemed to God by his blood uh, out of every tongue, tribe, nation, and people. And this church that we see is there voluntarily justified, purified, and clothed, and they are willingly in his presence. I believe that was in the foreknowledge of God in the beginning. You know, when they... Uh in this documentary, when they pull out pieces of the Bible that they want to attack, it's amazing how well they take it out of context. Uh, for, ex for an example of that is how they deal with the prodigal son. So they say, well, there was nobody paying the bill. Well, the father absorbed the loss, one. So the bill was paid, right? 
there was not just a, a forgiveness that didn't cost anything. So the idea that you can either have forgiveness or you can have a ransom for the sin or mutually exclusive is not displayed in Scripture. All right. Also, this is in a series of prodigal stories that God is using to show the type of people that are lost. There's a lost coin that doesn't know it's lost. A woman has 10 coins. She loses one of them. Won't she put the nine away and search, empty everything, sweep everything out, looking for the one she lost? And when she finds it, won't she rejoice? And won't she call her neighbor and say, rejoice with me for the coin that was lost is now found. The coin didn't know it was lost. Some people don't know they're lost. There's a lost sheep. The sheep wanders off and gets somewhere, and now it can't get home, and it screams out, bad, I'm lost. And the shepherd's like, I got 99 sheep here, but one of my goofballs ran off. So he goes and grabs his goofball. The, the sheep knows it's lost, but it can't get home, and it cries out. There are people that are lost that don't know they're lost, and they cry out to God. This is a story of redemption. The prodigal son said to him, give me my inheritance now. This means I wish you were dead. That is what that meant in that time, in that culture. For me to say, give me, give me my portion now means I have no part in you. I wish you were dead. I totally reject you. I'm going to take mine and do my own thing. And the son ran away and lived in revelry and rebellion until he came to himself. And this is many of our stories. We were raised in church. We ran away and we came to ourselves one day slopping pigs in muck and said, you know, the servants in my father's house have it better than me. Even they have bread to spare. I'll go home and just beg for a place to be a servant. And the son comes home and the father runs out to grab him and hold him and kiss him and put a robe on him and restore him and ran to meet him on the road. So the father is always watching for those that are lost to come home, even when they've hardened their heart in rebellion. And that's what this story is telling us. And that's what this story is teaching us. Jesus isn't using this parable to lay out the cost and the price and the cause and effect of redemption church family. This is Jesus in Exodus 34 said by no means, or God said by no means, yet he will not leave the guilty unpunished. Right on the tail of I'm long suffering. I'm I'm a good God. I'm going to redeem you unto myself. But no guilt will go unpunished. God did not set a precedent that said it's either forgiveness or a payment. He said it will all be paid for, period. It's either paid Mm -hmm. for by Christ on Calvary or is paid by the impenitent, unrepentant sinner in the lake of fire where there'll be gnashing of teeth, where the worm does not die, whether these are just things used to illustrate it to us. Is it literally a lake of fire? I don't know, but it sounds like a really horrible place to be. Like, does it have to be a little, do we need to pull it apart that, that much to understand that this is not where I want to go? Yeah. Uh, Wade, right before you, I, I, I often, because I guess my responsibility as a pastor, I try to think like the new believer. And I remember what it was like to be so hungry for the word of God that I digested anything and everything, which led to a lot of confusion. So you take a believer that's been saved three months and they are still breaking off old relationships and, you know, the alcohol hadn't worked itself through their system yet, out of their system, the drugs, all of this. And some false teacher, a carnal believer says, so where's the redemption in the lost coin? Where, who died? What's, what's wrong? And you go, I don't know. Where's the redemption in the, and you know, who died for this lamb? The shepherd just went and found it and brought it home. I'd like to answer that as an older believer. Picture the gospel, and 
Forgive me for the simple illustration, but you have to understand that's how your pastor's made it this far. If you can get it simple, I can get you. Okay. Picture the gospel as a house with many windows. Okay? And the house is the gospel. Okay? Not God, the gospel. Every window I look into, I can see a part of the gospel. So the lost coin means there are people that did not know they were lost, but God does. And he loves them and searches for them and finds their hiding place. That's part of the gospel. That's part of the story. There's those that know they're lost and don't know how to get back home. That's the gospel. There's the prodigal. There's the gospels. There's the all we like sheep have gone astray. There's the gospel. You see, so the entire gospel is not seen through that one window. But the gospel, the entire gospel, is taught through all of the windows. One window does not equal the whole gospel. But the gospel, a part of the gospel, a true part of it can be seen in that one story. That's why we must take the stories of the Bible and the scriptures and make sure they interweave and interlock seamlessly so that, to the centrality of Jesus Christ. Yeah, a lot of times these arguments are made, they make logical sense. Like if you think on them just in the sheer term, sometimes, sometimes they're huge contradictions, but sometimes they make logical sense. And, um, you know, one of them, the guy said, why can't God do what he asked us to do? Um, and you'll see they have a unique way of phrasing questions, but he said, forgive without retribution. And the thing is, is there's some wrong assumptions that are being made in this statement. Um, and then you've got, well, one is, you know, why can't God do what he's asking us to do and just forgive without retribution, right? Well, what Jesus is asking to do is twofold. One, he's asking us to bear the penalty of the offering, of the offenses, which is what he's doing. You know, they, they showed you the illustration when turning the other cheek and the arrow coming back to you. Jesus is doing that. But the second thing is, is Jesus is asking us to trust in his judgment that the price has already been paid even for their forgiveness, and so when we forgive, when we extend forgiveness, this isn't us, God asking us to do something he hasn't done. One, he has bore that already. He took it on. But the second thing is he is asking us to put our trust, not in our ability to bring out judgment, but in the fact that he will ultimately bring out judgment, that there is a final judgment and all things will be covered for. Either they will be under the blood or they will be paid. And so... He is, is, this isn't why can't God do what he's asking. He is doing what he's asking us to do, but he's be, doing beyond that as well. And so there's a lot of these arguments they want to try to rack up to try to lead you off course. They have wrong assumptions, the assumption that God would ask you to do something he's not done, which, give me a break, right? Have you read the Bible, all right? <laughs> Jay? Yeah, the why can't God ask us to do or why can't God do what he asks us to do? That's a straw man argument. That is not what the Bible says. Uh, God, Jesus is the only one that walked the earth and lived under the royal law. You were introduced to that. It's called, uh, many refer to it to the, as the royal law. That is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This is the great first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. Those are the words of Jesus Christ. That means these two things implicitly 
commands you to do everything that has previously been given to you under the Mosaic law, under Levitical law, the 613 laws Moses spent through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, everything. Well, how can that be? Look at the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with your relationship with God. The last six deal with your relationship with man. If I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, I can't and won't put other gods before him. I won't create graven images. I, I, I won't do that. If I'm, if I won't violate the first four commandments. If I love my neighbors, I love myself while I'm loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I won't bear false witness. I won't covet their things. On these two hang everything. And Jesus was the only one able to live life accordingly. We have all sinned. We are all like sheep that that have gone astray. My salvation was free to me, but it came at great cost. Great cost, believer. The precious spilt blood of Jesus Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, forgive, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not, forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So we are given a directive to forgive, right? But Jesus has already given us the example. He was the only one that lived the blameless life and he took upon himself the punishment. That's why it's so important that we don't deviate from the pain, the punishment, the penal aspect, the substitutionary aspect. He did it in my space, my place. Having none known no sin, he became sin for me. He became a curse for me. He redeemed me unto himself. We are saved from God. We are saved by God. We are saved for God. I love the summation of that. It, it just so concisely tells you what is going on when we are brought to Christ. But you, it is imperative that these theologians that want to push a false doctrine and make a name for themselves undermine this ideology. Tony Jones is, is very adamant. He'll say, they call it this, I call it this. He's clearly trying to make a name for himself, right? They'll call it uh, the moral influence theory. I like to call it the magnet, the magnet theory. They call it penal substitutionary atonement. I call it the payment model. Like He's standing himself up to be a forefront for follow-on theologians that want a heretical doctrine. And he is a co-founder of the Emergent Church, which has said that the message changes, the method changes, the gospel is evolving, the Bible is evolving. These things are absolutely false. The word of God is true. It says not one jot nor tittle. The, the, the original word for that means the smallest punctuation mark. So, so we're talking period, comma, semicolon. Not one part of that will fall from the, from the word of God before it has all been brought into completion. And, and what happens is if you'll let them talk long enough, they will attack their own argument. Mm-hmm. So Tony Jones says earlier in the documentary, you might not believe or, or not, might not remember because it's been several weeks. One of his fundamental views as a theist is God can do whatever he wants. But he comes on now and says he has a problem with conservative exegetes. Okay, I'm going to give you a few $10 words and then their five-cent meaning. you got hermeneutics, exegesis, eisegesis. Hermeneutics is the science we use to study the Bible. It's how we put our biases and things aside and we look at the historical context. Exegesis is reading the Bible for what is there, finding the truth that God has for us. Eisegesis is reading in our preconceived notions, meaning I I understand this to mean this, so I'm reading it into the text. I'm going to cherry pick this verse, and this means I can name it, claim it, word of faith, money cometh unto me now. Okay, so... He has a problem with people that faithfully interpret the text. He calls them exegetes. 
He has a problem with them because of certainty. You can't teach certainty. I have to erode absolute truth so that you will be just willing to follow whatever wave I throw your way if you don't mature in your faith, if you don't seek out God, if you don't seek to understand, if you are not intentional about your discipleship. Paul says grow as a believer. Now, when when you're saved, you have a lot to grow into. Like, it's... It can be overwhelming. Don't get overwhelmed and bogged down. Just know that God is there for you. God is leading you, and comparison will steal your joy. Don't look at someone else. Look at God. And and so he undermines his own idea, his fundamental core value that God can do whatever he wants because he says Christ showed a sacrificial love on the cross, and that magnet, that draws people in. Well, what was sacrificial about it if it was not if it didn't bring me into right standing with God? What, what was the what sacrifice part? Why, why was it necessary? Why am I drawn to that? If, if it wasn't for, if he wasn't taking my sin upon him and I'm not redeemed because of it, isn't it just another person in history that was on a crucifix? Like there were thousands of people throughout history that were crucified. But what's special about Jesus yeah. is because he bore my sin. He took my spot the sin that was, the punishment that was owed to me. He bore it. So to say that this, that this is an unjust system that God has created, if atonement is needed, well, why do you care that it's an unjust system? Can't God do whatever he wants? Or does God have to do what's right according to your moral compass? And that's how you've undermined your own argument. Yeah. So don't get lost in these deep words and, and long trails that they'll take you on. And if they talk long enough... They will undermine their own argument. One quick story about uh, the forgiveness of of people, uh, where it says, "Why can't you just? Why can't God just forgive um, us? Why would He require you just to forgive someone, you know, freely, and Him not do the same?" There's a, one of the statements that governs my life. It's become a life lesson for me: is each gives what they have. Okay, each gives what they have. The message, the requirement of us to forgive freely has little to do with salvation and has more to do with lordship. It has little to do with earning or meriting. It's expressing, okay? Uh, Back before the Berlin Wall fell, and I'll give you a very condensed version, there was a story of of West Germany, which was free, East Germany, which was under uh, horrible tyrannical rule. And on the east, they would throw over to the west, they would dump uh, hospital uh, refuse, uh, soiled linens, disease. They would just dump all kinds of stuff on this side. And uh, one story was repeated that it was brought to the attention of a commander. He said, they're just dumping all of this toxic uh, barrels and stuff. What should we do? He said, get a pallet and put on the pallet uh, antibiotics and hydrogen peroxide and penicillin and they put all these things that would benefit them and they wrapped it in this thick saran wrap and the man pinned a little note and put it on the top and then they lowered it they picked it up with a crane and lowered it to the other side and when they opened it on the other side it said each gives what they have <laughs> so John freely You've been forgiven through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've absolved you of all guilt. 
What do you got, John? Show them. So it's not a gospel of free grace. My forgiveness is the evidence. I wouldn't have anything to give had it not happened. I take from the reality of that sacrifice and I look for someone undeserving because I was undeserving and I take from the warehouse of my soul and give to them. That's why God is so strict, he said, that he would deliver us to the torturers if we do not forgive every man from our heart. Why? Because you've received so much that your actions would contradict the gospel. You see, he's jealous over this message. I can't receive a grace that forgives someone like me and not forgive someone like them. The grace you give to other people is the evidence of the active gospel in your life and the clarity of understanding. Guys, you got one more to close us up and then we're going to take communion together. Um, it was a beautiful picture that Kelly painted earlier with the covenant that um, God made with Abraham and the fact that he passed through the two halves. Uh, I just want to invite you tonight. We're going to unpack that a little more. Gerald um, Payton is going to join me um, up in the grill. You can be with us or online. And we're going to unpack a little bit some of that um, of this stuff and covenant theology a little bit. Brooke, so thanks up. for that beautiful uh, window and open to that, Kelly. Yes. Jay? Uh, I just want to touch on one thing. When Rob Bell was dismissed by John Piper and the defense is, well, he was just asking questions. Well, Paul asked some questions in uh, Philippians chapter 2, and they were actually statements. If you go home, this will be your homework assignment. Read uh, Philippians chapter 2, the first three verses. You'll know what I'm talking about. It says, is there any love from being in Christ? Is there any hope? It's, these are actually positive, absolute statements that are meaning, since there is so much love, since there is so much hope, you should agree. You know, Paul is, that's a different doctrine, but it is presented in questions. And to say that just somebody's asking questions, what's the big deal about asking questions? The big deal is the intentions behind the questions. Jesus dealt with that when he dealt with the Pharisees. When somebody come to him and say, how am I to be saved? He would spend all day with them. But when they came to him and said, you know what, I got you now. Let me ask you this really complex and drawn out question and get you caught in a trap. Jesus didn't entertain it. One, he shut them down so quick they broke their brain. And, and two, he, he, didn't, he didn't spend time dwelling on that. He didn't say, now let me really tear you apart. Let me give you some stuff that'll really bust your nugget. You know, he, he just dismissed that person. Amen. Okay. So this man is standing up questions, statements disguised as questions that are attacking our fundamental core beliefs as Christ's followers. He is saying that God is not good, that God, how could it ever be good news that God restored you unto himself? That's the best news I could ever hear. That he would do what he has done for me. That he would do what he Amen. has done for you. That it's not just asking questions with a sincerity and a desire to learn. It was asking questions that he wanted to use later to attack and dismantle the gospel. That's good. Will you bring that podium for me? Thank you, Jason, Wade. Would y'all bless them this morning? Thank you for their ministry.
Thank you, Wade. In just a few moments, we're going to take communion together uh, uh, and worship the Lord in song. Has everyone been served communion? Did you receive? Uh, if you haven't, guys, we have some in the back. If you would just slip your hand up for just a moment, hold it up, and our ushers will get to you. I think everyone's been served. I want to just make two distinctions, and then we're going to take communion this morning uh, together. I want to address the idea that somehow Satan was paid off. You know, I, I love C.S. Lewis. There are very few writers with the grasp and the intellectual capacity to explain truths as C.S. Lewis. You can read his books. They're wonderful. But in this movie, they take one... It can be translated that one part of it uh, w would look like he was paying off Satan. And, and that y'all stay with me. It was not, not the case at all. Here's how we know. Every Old Testament sacrifice was killed, given, offered, and presented to who? So if every lamb for thousands of years was presented to God, the Lamb of God was presented to God. Now, well, Brother John, did he go into hell? Did he suffer like they said? Very quickly, I'll tell you a quick story. When I first got saved, I was introduced to the writings of E.W. Kenyon. Um, and I have to tell you that I did not know it then, but this was, there was a Gnostic appeal to this, like secret knowledge. I'd not heard the things in these, these books that were true. I'd never heard them preached. But then there was a book he had that said, what really happened in the three days that Jesus uh, was in hell? And by hell, I thought torment, but that's not because Jesus told us there were two separate divisions. One of torment, where the rich man went, and Abraham's bosom, where the beggar was. And he was asking that the man, the man in the torment was asking for this person uh, to come and dip their finger in cold water and, and, and quench his tongue. And I struggled with that. And I went to a pastor and I said, did Jesus die spiritually? I said, I can understand. So he died physically for my physical sins. Did he die spiritually? You know, one heals my physical body in the resurrection. And he said, I, I don't know. And I just kind of shelved it. But something didn't feel completely right for me. And then I read the scriptures. That when Christ went into the lower parts of the earth. Listen, in 1 Peter 3. It said that Christ once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. These were sometimes disobedience when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, and there were eight souls saved by water. So the Bible tells us that when Christ went into the lower parts of the earth, you remember when he told the thief on the cross, this day you'll be with me in paradise? He didn't say heaven. He said paradise. The abode of the dead. The tortured with no covering. The Old Testament saints that killed these little lambs and goats and had scapegoats and pigeons and turtle doves and they had all these sacrifices pointing to the once and for all sacrifice. So when Christ went into the lower parts of the earth, he was not suffering for our sins. He was preaching the gospel to the angels that had fallen 
He was explaining what was happening and of their judgment. And to the believers that were waiting on, they had killed those lambs every year. And he said, no more lambs are dying. The veil's been rent. And the Bible said he took captivity captive. And the Bible says that he ascended with them. And in Jerusalem, in Judea, in the, in the place of his, uh, of his birth, uh, throughout the towns, that many saw their dead loved ones walking the streets on their way to heaven. And you tie into the story in Psalms where it said, Lift ye up, ye everlasting gates, and lift ye up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory might come in. And the angel said, Who is the King of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. He is the King of glory. So what happened in hell? He gathered everybody together and said, let's go home. And he emptied paradise out. There's no one there now. There's the tortured waiting for their final judgment. And then there were saints that went forward. Pastor John, why have you taken so much time? And why have you drilled this into us? Why have you been repetitive, line upon line, precept upon precept? Why do you draw such distinction? Why the exclusivity? Why the, the separation? Because there is only one gospel. And if you touch it, if you modify it, if you change it, if you dilute it, if you add to it, if you, if you, the lamb has to be perfect and spotless. So the sacrifice, perfect and spotless. And if man helps, the lamb's tainted. So what do you do? You stand over here and watch God save you and you don't touch it and he says this is your condition yes this is your helplessness yes this is what I plan to do for you yes this is what I did for you and this is what I'm going to do for you John what do you add to that sounds good to me so any works John no this communion that you have does everybody have it Let's go ahead and just separate it, if you will. Take your bread apart. And I've asked um, Brooke and Eden, and they're going to minister an old hymn uh, that is precious to your pastor. I want you to really focus on the verse, okay? I want it to echo in your heart and have this while they're singing like, yes, God, yes, God, yes, God. Y'all about got them open. Some of y'all doing the 80-year-old lady at the... You know how to take some 30, 40 minutes to open it up. Listen to the words of this. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I And at the cross, at the cross Where I first saw the light And the burden of my heart rolled away It was there by faith I received my sight now I am happy all the day. Was it for sins 
that I have done. He groaned upon the tree. Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond Y'all stand with us. Let's sing this together. Well, my son in darkness hide and shut his glory in when Christ the mighty maker died for man his creature sin at the cross at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. take communion together now it's starting to tie together and make sense when Jesus talked about his sufferings and his this is my blood this is my body that that's a hard saying I I don't think I like this story I don't think I like this message Simon Peter said far be it from you that you're gonna die like that and Jesus said get behind me Satan Get behind me. You're, you're pushing against the cross, the gospel. This man said on the screen, 
that I'm, I'm not saying that there's not a, a part of penal substitution. It's the whole part. There are no other parts. So Jesus said, when he gave communion to his disciples, this, this, this is what I want you to remember. And it's so important and so precious. I want you to know that I'm not going to drink of the vine again until I get to drink it with you. So the invisible communion of today will turn into visible communion tomorrow. And the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took wine and poured it and gave it to his disciples. I'm sorry, he broke the bread, gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my body that's broken for you as often as you do this. Remember me. Let's take together. Broken for you. Broken for you. And just a point of clarity before we drink the cup together. Uh, you have to forgive me sometimes as your pastor. I, I just I have to tell them. I have to tell them. God is our healer. He's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals us. But the scripture, he was wounded for my transgressions, spiritual. He was bruised for my iniquities, spiritual. The chastisement of my peace was upon him, spiritual. And by his stripes I was healed, physical. No, that's not what that passage means. God is our healer. And he forgiveth all our iniquities and healeth all our diseases. But this deals with spiritual, the context of the scripture. And this cup that you lift is an external expression of an eternal reality that God is satisfied. The same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took wine and he poured it and he gave it to his disciples. He said, this is my blood that's shed for you as often as you do this. Remember me. Let's take together. Ladies, would you mind let's just sing the chorus one more time as we're dismissed? At the cross, at the Lift your voice, cross, saints. Where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I am happy all the day. Father, in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, the strong Son of God, we stand in your presence clothed with his righteousness that he secured for us through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Blessed be your great name, O God. Blessed be your great name. And unto you, Jesus, be all glory and power and dominion and strength. For all that is in heaven and earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you reign over all. And in your hand is power and might. And in your hand is strength. Therefore, we give thanks and bring glory to your great name. We believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God unto salvation. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Did we have an announcement?
Next week, Connection Point Lunch, if you're new to the church or you haven't had a chance to meet this wonderful staff, or if you're just ready for a free meal, you can drop in. And if you've been here six years and you go, you know what, I, I haven't met you. So next, we need to know that you're coming so we don't have le le leftover uh, filet mignon or anything. So go on the app. Let us know that you're coming next Sunday, Connection Lunch. God bless you. When the dark lasts a little bit 